This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley. Have you noticed your feet today? Did you say good morning to your feet? Did you care about your feet at all today? See, we have a lot of children here. I didn't anticipate that, but I appreciate the, the reaction. throwing me off a little bit here, but (laughs) it's good. It's a good thing. Where was I? I bet you combed your hair. I bet you brushed your teeth. I bet you washed your hands, those delicate digits, so well proportioned. But what did you do for your feet today? You know, we don't care. Maybe you did. Most people, that's because you're little. See, there's two problems with feet. First of all, they're, well, shall we say, they can be homely in the sense that they can be irregular. So, for instance, it's really being vulnerable here, but the second toe on my right foot is longer than my big toe on my right foot, but that's not the case on my left foot. And there are other abnormalities that you don't need to know about. <laughs> it's one of the problems with feet. They're just irregular. Second problem with feet is they're lowly, especially when you get older and you're tall. They're way down there. They're on the ground. They're by the dirt. They're by mud and centipedes and backed up septic water. True story, which I won't go into. (laughs) On a more serious note, and this is actually more serious, in the developing world, you can tell the poor from the really poor. And here's how you do it. I learned this from my son, who's a doctor in Papua New Guinea. The poor, the the semi-poor have shoes. The poor have just flip-flops. The really poor don't have any shoes at all. These people sometimes walk for days to get to Kidjip Hospital in the Western Highlands of Papua New Guinea. They live in their feet, close to the ground in the dirt. Which is why, if most of us, if we can afford it, we usually cover our feet, or at least parts of our feet. We keep them hidden. We keep them secret. Jesus is going to come to us tonight, and he's going to ask us a question that he asked Simon Peter 2,000 years ago. Will you let me wash your feet? Will you let me cleanse you? Will you let me get to those secret parts of your soul and your character and your personality and your life, those secret parts that are dirty, that might feel shameful, that might feel irregular in a sinful kind of way? Jesus is going to say, will you let me wash those ugliest, lowliest, dirtiest, most secret, smelliest, most sinful, shameful parts of you? Will you let me get that low and wash your feet? It's the parts of you that you say, if someone would, or you would say to someone, 
or you would say to yourself, if someone saw blank, if someone knew blank about me, I would be so ashamed. I would feel like, I'd feel ashamed, and I would feel like people would reject me because they would know something about that, me that I don't want them to know. Maybe it's about you personally. Maybe it's about something in your family. Maybe it's something that you did in the past. If people would know blank about me, I would be so ashamed. That's your dirty feet. What is that blank for you? I'm convinced everybody here tonight has a blank or multiple blanks. If someone knew that I am so angry, if someone knew that I feel like a failure and an imposter, if someone knew that I'm so anxious and afraid, if someone knew that I, I hate some people, I hate them, if someone knew that I just feel like my life is so petty and I waste so much time, if someone knew that I feel so far from God and I just, I've, no, I've felt so far from God for such a long time, I can't ever remember feeling close to God. And that makes me a bad Christian and I'm really ashamed of that. Those are your ugly, lowly feet. And Jesus asks, will you let me wash your feet? Now this sermon is, this is not really the sermon I wanted to preach because there's really two parts to this passage. And the first part is, Will you let Jesus wash your feet? And then the second part is, will you wash feet in others, in Jesus' name, for others and for the world? And I so wanted to get to that second part. So wanted to preach a sermon on mission. Washing the feet of the world. So maybe in three years, the bishop will let me do part two. But maybe. maybe. We'll see how this goes. How's it going so far? Okay. So, part one, we are the foot-washed people. Part two, we become the foot-washing community. So I'm just going to cover part one tonight. Let's look at your, the gospel text that was read, because it's such a rich and beautiful text. So verses one and two, now before the feast of the Passover, it's when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Whatever you think about this story, this story is a love story. It's a love story of God for his people and the love story of through his people for the world. It's a love story. And in this passage, Jesus is going to show profound love to disciples who are not very lovable. You got a lot of disciples here that are not lovable. You have Peter. We'll get to him in a few minutes. But then over this whole passage hangs this sort of chill and darkness a sense of foreboding. Verse 2, during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Did Jesus get down on his hands and knees and wash the feet of Judas even though he knew he was going to betray him? Probably. This is a love story of Jesus' love for unlovely disciples with unlovely feet. Verse 3, now remember, so they've, they've been out, they've been doing things, they've been in the bustle, it's been busy, it's been noisy, and now it's quiet, there's a hush, it's a more contemplative mood. 
And it says in verse three, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What is happening? Well, you can see this whole plot of this story is like, like the shape of a V. It's in a V shape like this. So it starts with Jesus, the glorious, majestic one, and then it ends with Jesus, the glorious, majestic one. You see that in verse 12. Once again, Jesus goes back to his position as Lord, but in between there, there's this incredible, shocking descent into lowliness, into humility, into servanthood that Jesus takes. That's the part that I want to focus on tonight, especially verses four and five. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. You, maybe you know this, but culturally in the background of those days, it was much more like what I was describing people in the developing world. People didn't, they walked in the dusty roads. There wasn't a sanitation system like we have it, so they would pick up dust, they would pick up mud, they would pick up dirt, they would pick up sweat. Sometimes they'd pick up excrement on their feet. And so an important part of hospitality was somebody was there with a bowl and a basin and a towel so the guests could either wash their own feet or usually have a servant wash the feet for them. But it wasn't just a servant, it was a lowest of the low of the servants. It was like the worst job you can ever imagine. It was the lowest of the low. There was no parallel in ancient literature of anybody of a superior nature washing the feet of someone of an inferior nature. So what Jesus is doing is he's not only just going low, but he's just completely flipping and upending societal structures of power and hierarchy. Remember the V-shape. Remember who he is. And remember who he becomes again at the end of this story. But in the midst of this, he goes low. And in the process, he is prefiguring what he's going to do on the cross. Because like the, the foot washing was reserved for the lowest of the low, crucifixion on a cross was also reserved for the lowest of the low. It's the same class of people that would receive the same kind of treatment. So the Romans didn't, crucifixion was not for Roman citizens. It was not for important people. It was not for rich people. It was not for powerful people. It was not even for middle class people. It was for poor people. It was, for, it was a slave's death. It was a deterrent for the slaves. So you imagine all the slaves in the American colonies that were, that were killed, that were murdered, that were left to die, buried in unmarked graves somewhere, completely forgotten, dying the deaths of a nobody. As one theologian says, this was the destiny chosen by the creator and Lord of the universe, the death of a nobody. Why did he do it? Who does that? To serve, to save, to cleanse, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And then to even beautify our feet. How beautiful are the feet of the ones who bring good news. So Peter is shocked by this. 
He says in verse 8, he says, you shall never wash my feet. Literally translated, it literally translates something like this. It's a double negative. So it literally goes like this. Not, not will you ever wash my feet into the ages. That's a literal translation. Not, not will you ever wash my feet into the ages. Now we can think of some phrases that we might use that are very colorful, like this is never going to happen. A certain place will freeze over before this happens. You get what I'm saying? You get the, the emotional impact of this. Now let's understand, Peter, because he, everybody's thinking this. All the disciples are thinking this, but he's the only one that has the guts to say something. Why is it? What's his problem? It goes against everything he knows about God or thinks he knows about God. God of the universe, the one that it says in John 1, 1, he's God in human flesh. He's going to get down on his hands and knees. He's going to put on the towel of the lowest of the lowest servant and wash our feet and clean the, clean the grime and the, and the gunk off of our feet. Who has ever heard of that? What religion? What philosophy? This is impossible. St. Augustine said, talking about this passage, he said, for proud man would have perished eternally had we not been found by the lowly God. The lowly God is finding us. So Peter, who's on other occasions very concerned that Jesus acts very Messiah-like and God-like and doesn't think he is, tries to get Jesus back in what he thinks how God should act. Second thing, it goes against Peter. It goes against him. It goes against his, his, just his personality, his, his what I'm going to call his myth of invulnerability. I am capable. I am competent. I am invulnerable. And even if I feel vulnerable, I'm not going to let anybody know it. That's the way he lives his life. So in, later on in verse 37, Peter says to to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I don't know about the rest of those guys. They're a little flaky, but me, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, it's, it's, he thinks he's invulnerable, and Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You're going to get up to the plate, Peter, and you are going to whiff three times. You're going to strike out. You're going to go down in flames. And you don't even see it because you're so, you think you're so invulnerable. In June of 2001, we moved to, from a small town in Minnesota to Long Island, New York. And people said, to, to, to take a pastorate there, to take a pastoral job there, people said, you're crazy. That's a huge culture shift. And I said, I, you know, I can handle it. I can handle it. I'm invulnerable. I can handle this. That was June of 2001. Three months later, 9-11 hit. We only had a couple relatives from people in our church die, but it profoundly impacted the church 
Before that, the church was in chaos anyway. By the time we moved there, the church had just basically degenerated to the point where people were almost having fistfights in the parking lot after leaders' meetings. So we walked into that, and then 9-11 hit, and I remember a week after 9-11, a little, in a little cart, being driven around, giving out hamburgers to the firefighters, and seeing the destruction and the devastation and feeling like you're in a war zone, and I just could not, did not know what to do with that. So about six years later, we'd made a lot of progress as a church. There was a lot of healing, a lot of things moving in the right, better direction, but it took a toll. I felt like little bit by bit, little scoops, scoops of intimacy with the Lord were just being scooped out of me. Like a, just imagine like a, a one cup, measuring cup, just take a scoop, dump it out, take a scoop, dump it out, and pretty soon, after about six years, I just had nothing left. And I remember a friend asking me a question. It was just sort of a random question. He said, he said, it's just a question he likes to ask people. Do you like the person you're becoming? And I, I, I didn't tell him, but I just thought, oh my goodness, no. I do not like the person I'm becoming. It was the second most terrifying moment in my life. The f- next most terrifying moment in my life was, this is true, but I can't tell anybody because I can't be vulnerable. What do I do, walk into my elder board? I just wanted you guys to know, I don't like the person I'm becoming, and I, don't, I have no idea what to do about it. Can you help me? I didn't know who to ask. I needed to become very vulnerable. And my whole life, I lived by a creed. And the creed was, I believe that I am capable, with the Lord, of course, I believe that I will figure it out somehow. And I couldn't figure it out. Now, it has a happy ending. But it took a year or two or three or four of letting Jesus just wash my feet, get to my feet, get to the stinkiest, smelliest parts. So Peter says, You're never going to do that for me. And then Jesus says, if I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. You have no share with me. If you don't accept my washing, my cleansing, my forgiveness, if you don't make yourself vulnerable and open to that, I don't know what else I have to offer, Peter. That's what I do. That's who I am. If I can't forgive your sins, if you won't let me, if you're too invulnerable, if you're too humble, if you're too unworthy, we can't have a partnership. Give in, surrender, and you'll find freedom. And this is, again, this is not just Jesus with a cozy wave of the hand. Ah, whatever, I forgive you all. No, this is Jesus in light of the cross. In light of his death on the cross, where he would atone for the sins of the world and where he would say, it is finished, it's in light of that that he can say, will you let me wash your feet? I can cleanse your feet. And so Peter says, I love this, 
Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Okay, bring it on. Dump the whole basin on my head. And Jesus says, and I imagine there's some laughter there. Peter, no, really. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. First, let's talk about Peter. You are clean. If I say you're clean, you're clean. If your conscience says, oh, I'm not forgiven, I'm not clean. You may need to repent and to deal some, with some things in your life. Let him deal with your dirty feet. But once he cleans your feet, they're clean. And then it says, for Jesus knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So again, there's this like warning that we can be so close, but not in touch with Jesus' healing power because we're not open to it. We don't ask for it. We don't turn from our invulnerability. We don't turn from our false humility. We don't turn from our unworthiness and turn to him. Will you let me wash your feet? I was, I was thinking about this passage. I had this, I don't know, for some reason I had this picture of heaven. And here was my picture of heaven. We're gonna arrive in heaven. And I'm gonna arrive in heaven and just be really tired and really dirty and kind of sweaty, kind of smelly and still have some dirt on my feet. And the first thing, Jesus is going to embrace me like the father embraces the prodigal son in that story in Luke 15. And then he says, oh, let me wash your feet. And he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes my feet. I think, is that a fanciful story? Is that just cute? Is that just sentimental? I don't think so. Jesus is not acting in John 13. He's not just putting on a show. He is revealing the inner life of the Trinity. This is how God acts. The Father gives glory to the Son. The Son gives glory to the Father. The Spirit gives glory to the Father and the Son. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The, the Son sends the church. It's all this beautiful inner life of serving and honoring and loving, outgoing love. That's who God is. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into this. You think of the hundreds of times Jesus has washed your feet. You think, when did he wash my feet? When you were baptized, he washed your feet. Every time you receive the Eucharist, he's washing your feet. Every time you confess your sins and turn back to him, you repent and turn back to him, he washes your feet. Every time you read the word of God or you hear the word of God preached and it pierces your heart and it renews you, he's washing your feet. You know, on Ash Wednesday, we started this journey didn't we, brothers and sisters? You remember? Seems like so long ago, Ash Wednesday, and yet maybe like yesterday, we all began it and we said, Psalm 51, 7, we prayed, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And on this night, Jesus says, I'm answering your prayer tonight. I want to answer your prayer and I want to wash your feet. Isn't that beautiful? Not only wash, but free us and beautify us. 
how do we live in light of this lowly God, the lowly God who found us? Again, I wish I could preach part two, but I'm not. But what would it look like? Just, just pause and think about that. What would it look like to live this V-shaped life? What would that look like for you? What would that look like for your family? What would it look like for our church family? What does it look like? I know so many of you, are, you're already doing it. You're already in it. What would it look like to continue in that? As you serve each other, as you serve the world, as we serve the nations, as we serve the poor. It also means this, that at the foot of the cross, you will find the safest place in the universe, the safest place in the world to repent, to admit your vulnerabilities, to admit your sin, to take your sin and your dirt and your shame and to bring it to the foot of the cross. So Jesus says, I have loved you to the end. The majestic creator God became the lowly God who found us. Will you let him wash your feet? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.